We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Candlestick Chronicles, the 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name's Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. And guys, tonight our podcast is brought to you by Indochino, uh, the, a great place to go for all your custom-made tailoring. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. They make suits, shirts, coats, and more, and everything is made to your exact measurements for a great fit. Plus, you get to personalize all the details, including your lapel, lining, and your own monogram. RJ Barrett's brand new collection with Indochino just dropped. Featuring limited edition, limited edition fabrics and jacket linings, RJ helped pick out and design. Indochino's process is simple. Choose your fabric, pick your customizations, and submit your measurements. Your package will be delivered straight to your door in two weeks. You can get measured and design your suit at your nearest Indochino showroom or do it all yourself online at Indochino.com. Right now, you can get $30 off your purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Blue Wire at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, promo code BLUEWIRE for $30 off your total purchase of at least $399. It's an incredible deal for made-to-measure clothing. You really have no excuse anymore to wear clothing that doesn't fit. sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle is going to go. Touchdown. So with me tonight, Kyle Madsen of Niners Wire of the USA Today Sports Media Group and a producer on the afternoon show at 95.7 The Game here in the Bay Area. Kyle, what's happening, man? Not a lot, dude. Just uh, a lot to take in from that football game last night. Still kind of uh, still kind of processing. It was the first football game I've ever covered or that, uh, that was like a good, meaningful, emotionally fraught game. So it was fun. It was different. It was a nice change. Yeah, it was, uh, of course, the 49ers lost to the Seahawks in overtime, 27 to 24. But it was one of those games where so much stuff happened. And uh, and I think we, we sort of got used to the idea throughout the first half of the season that the 49ers would get out to big leads and then just sort of maintain them throughout the rest of the game. At least that's been a, a common theme through a number of these blowouts that they've had. 
Um, with the exception of week three against the Steelers, this was the first time the 49ers had to come back uh, from a second half deficit. So, I mean, so many things happened, good and bad. It was it was a really epic game, a super entertaining game, um, but also obviously a really frustrating game if you're a 49ers fan because there were so many opportunities to win the game, including that 47-yard field goal uh, in overtime from Chase McLaughlin that would have won the game. Uh, but McLaughlin, of course, shanked it left. Russell Wilson got the ball back, scrambled for a big gain, uh, and the Seahawks wound up kicking a field goal almost as overtime expired. We were actually really close to a tie game, which would have been extremely unsatisfying after going through almost four hours of of that roller coaster that was that football game. But uh, we got a lot to talk about. So I, I think first... Uh, we, let's let's go through the news of the day real quick. Kyle Shanahan had a conference call with with reporters on Tuesday. Um, Ronald Blair, defensive lineman, done for the year with a torn ACL. It happened when his leg bent awkwardly on a tackle of Russell Wilson on a on a run for a loss late in the fourth quarter. So it's not an enormous loss for for the 49ers defense, but Blair was a was a pretty key depth piece along that defensive front. Left tackle Joe Staley might have surgery on a finger that he fractured and dislocated. If he does have surgery, it might cost him a couple of weeks, according to Kyle Shanahan. So Staley gets hurt again in his first game back, and there's a chance he doesn't need surgery and he plays Sunday against the Cardinals, but we will have to see. We'll have an update later in the week. Um, Emmanuel Sanders has a rib cartilage injury, uh, which is better news than broken ribs. He left the game in the second quarter on Monday. And he's entering the Cardinals week as questionable for that game. George Kittle's status has not changed. Kyle Shanahan is holding out hope that he can play. But uh, I don't imagine that Kittle's going to practice on Wednesday. And I think there's a pretty good chance that Kittle sits a second game in a row against the Cardinals, which we will absolutely talk about. And Robbie Gold's status is unchanged. He's going to test it out. Uh, He has a quadriceps injury that he's going to test out on Wednesday on the practice field to see if he can return. And and thus the 49ers might not need Chase McLaughlin uh, to, to be their field goal kicker any longer. So um, Kyle 49ers lose for the first time all year. You dealt with, with uh, I'm sure a very interesting group of sports radio callers, um, lots of hot take artists, lots of overreactions. There's nothing there. There's nothing that draws more overreactions than when a good football team loses a game. Yeah. Um, but what was uh, what, what was your take just from the reaction today, and what and what was the most outlandish thing you've heard? The most outlandish thing I heard was the it wasn't the take itself, but just the prevalence of it that the 49ers are now going to go like nine and seven or ten and six, which was which was amazing. The <laughs> <laughs> the the Jimmy Garoppolo takes that people who have wanted to get their Jimmy Garoppolo is not good takes off. Finally, after 17 starts, we're, we're really able to, to dig in and, and point to a situation where he couldn't get his team in the end zone late in the game. Uh, if Chase McLaughlin makes a kick, I think the narrative is much different, but that's just how narratives go in today's media climate. Um, I think the thing I find most fascinating is the Saints were the NFC team that everybody was putting up ahead of the 49ers. It was it was the 49ers aren't the best team in the NFC despite their undefeated record going into this week the Saints are. The 49ers lose by 3 to the Seahawks in the final seconds of overtime in a game without their two best offensive players in a game where they turned the ball over four times. Four times. Three times. Three times. In a game, they turned the ball over three times and had a chance to win it in overtime, and their their rookie kicker missed a 47-yard kick. And the, the prevailing thought is, see, the Saints are the better team. Meanwhile, the Saints got blown out at home against the 1-7 Falcons. And I have a really hard time uh, connecting those dots and, and tracking that logic. Uh, the 49ers played a very hard-fought game that most people knew was going to be a hard-fought game. The Seahawks are too good to get to get rolled over in a in a primetime game against a division opponent. That just I don't think was going to happen. I think the point spread was six and a half points. I thought that was outrageously high. 
and the the Niners and Seahawks are pretty evenly matched, and they literally needed a full game and every second of overtime to determine a winner. Right, and, and I made this point, and it's the dumbest point in the world, admittedly, but I made this point a while ago. It's like you go thirteen and three or twelve and four. That means you lose three games or you lose four games. So even really good teams, teams that have first round buys that get the, the one or the two seed in their respective conference, they lose these games. These things just happen. And, and you know, you play 16 games, you're going to lose some of them. That's just the way the league works. And so naturally, you know, you deal with the overreaction cycle. And I think that's what we're going through. Is Jimmy Garoppolo a bad quarterback? No, because a week ago we were just talking about Garoppolo as finally being able to take the team and carry it on his back. Um, I think if McLaughlin makes that field goal, we're talking about Jimmy Garoppolo, the hero for orchestrating a fourth quarter drive to to put the 49ers in range for that game tying field goal, which was a clutch drive uh, to send the game into overtime. And um, we're, we're talking about, you know, the 49ers winning that game being nine and zero if McLaughlin makes a field goal in overtime. So we're talking about Jimmy Garoppolo in very different terms if a number of different things happen. And, yeah. and I think you have to look at the context of the game overall, too, in that you mentioned it, Kyle. Like, there was no Emmanuel Sanders. There was no George Kittle. Uh, and it took three turnovers that led to three Seahawks touchdowns. This, the Seahawks didn't have a touchdown drive that didn't start with a 49ers turnover. So all of their touchdowns, first there was the Jadavian Clowney fumble return which obviously happened deep in 49ers territory and was a defensive touchdown uh then Jacob Hollister had his touchdown which was a result of an interception Garoppolo threw that bounced off Kendrick Bourne's hands which was not a bad throw and Bourne will tell you he should have caught that ball I think it was a very mm -hmm. catchable pass um, I know a lot of people are on Twitter are like oh that was a bad throw we see good quarterbacks make throws that receivers have to jump for all the time it wasn't like Bourne was outstretched he had he he had to make a catch that is very natural for an NFL receiver to make. So I'm not buying that that throw is, is on Garoppolo. I agree. Um, and maybe, you know, if you want to talk about the biggest issue of the game from San Francisco standpoint, I think it comes down to their inability to block Jadavian Clowney. And there, there's been, you know, fielded mailbag questions today, um, which is typical for, for a Tuesday. And everybody, not everybody, few people on Twitter asking, should the 49ers bench Joe Staley and or Mike McGlinchey until, you know, they're they're fully healthy or whatever? Some iteration of that question. Uh, the short answer is no. And the 49ers allowed those guys to play because their medical staff cleared them to play. So they're going to play. Mike McGlinchey is the first round pick. Joe Staley is the second highest paid player on the team. So he's not going to get benched if he's good enough to play. Um these things happen. Like sometimes you go up against superstar caliber players like Jadavian Clowney and they show out and they outplay you. And it's what 49ers fans have been enjoying throughout the first half of the season this whole time with Nick Bosa coming out and playing really well. Um, Villanueva, the tackle for the Steelers, is a very good left tackle. He's one of the better left tackles in the league. I would put him on par with Joe Staley. He's, they're in that same kind of group in terms of premier left tackles. Nick Bosa beat him like a drum during that entire game. And the Steelers didn't bench Villanueva just because that happened. Like, it, right. he, and, and I think it would have been worse for the 49ers probably if Justin School was out there against Jadavian Clowney the way Clowney was playing. I thought that yep. performance from Clowney was the best defensive showing, the best defensive performance the 49ers have gotten from a, any singular opponent to date. I think Clowney really wrecked that game. He was massive. Like I said, the Seahawks, the offense only generated two field goal drives on their own. Um, obviously, you know, the turnovers, the, the Seahawks didn't have to drive the length of the field to score touchdowns, but I thought the 49ers defense played its ass off. And uh, and these games happen. And, and I think with George Kittle and Emmanuel Sanders healthy um, and maybe – Mike McGlinchey and Joe Staley more, you know, not coming back for the first time from prolonged absences with leg injuries. I think that game has a much different shape. And and we go into, we went into that game talking about it. Like you looked at all the evidence you had through the first, the first half of the season, every metric, uh, common opponents, just about every single angle with maybe the exception of Russell Wilson being the, the front runner for MVP of the league. Um, 
the Niners were better than the Seahawks. And I still think that's true. But the issue is, you know, you, you rarely play in the NFL at full strength. So the 49ers, obviously without George Kittle, who's their best player on offense, their best overall player on offense, and Emmanuel Sanders, a guy they gave up two pretty significant draft picks for in the upcoming draft in the trade with the Broncos, wasn't able to play beyond the second quarter. And we saw how much the 49ers were dominating offensively with Emmanuel Sanders in the game before the second quarter, before that that fumble when center Weston Richburg went out, by the way, and Jaron Reed got to Garoppolo and force a fumble, which Clowney returned for a touchdown. So, and that's not to say, look, the, the 49ers should use injuries as an excuse. These are just the realities of the NFL. You're not going to be at full strength all the time. Um, you're going to have to win games when players are hurt. You're going to have to get guys to step up. And the 49ers weren't able to get enough of those their other guys, those ancillary guys along the margins to step up and win them the game. And of course, it's going to come down as, you know, a referendum on Garoppolo. Well, I, you know, if Garoppolo gets, um, if, if he doesn't have six drops, a number of which came at key opportunities, uh, then I think we're talking about him drastically different. So before we get into the, the weeds of the game, let's take a quick break. Humans have been shaving for thousands of years, and the secret to a great shave? Well, it hasn't changed all that much. The ancient, the ancient Greeks didn't need flex balls or heated handles, and neither do you. That's why Harry's doesn't overcharge to add gimmicky features to their razors. They focus on delivering what actually matters, sharp, durable blades at a fair price. I use Harry's. Uh, I, don't, I don't shave my face so much because it's important that, uh, that I have a little bit of stubble so, uh, so I don't look like a child but I do shave my neck and, and the neck shave is really important. And, uh, and I do it with Harry's and it is awesome. It is smooth. Um, there are not ingrown hairs. It's, it's really great. So Harry's is a return to the essential quality, durable blades at a fair price. They're just $2 per blade. They've cut out the middleman manufacturing blades in their German blade factory. That's been honing precision blades for a century, which means you get incredibly high quality blades at a fa at factory direct prices. Harry's is super convenient. Blade refills are delivered directly to your door on your schedule with or without a subscription, and there's no risk to you for trying them out. If you don't love your shave, let them know, and they'll give you a full refund. Listeners to our show can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com slash bluewire. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated, and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. Go to harrys.com slash blue wire to start shaving better today. Talking about erectile dysfunction is not easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like I lost my mojo or avoid it altogether with excuses like I had a long day at work or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about it with a real doctor who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all, of the all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash BlueWire or a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash BlueWire. So as we mentioned, um, the 49ers really started out well against that game and, and they got out to a 10 nothing lead. I, I think the Seahawks didn't get their first first down until the second quarter. And really what swung the game was the fumble uh, caused by Jaron Reed and, and the Seahawks ran a, a two man game with with their interior guys beating Ben Garland, who was who was in for Weston Richburg, who was uh, was out of the game momentarily with a hand injury. And you just sort of felt that like, all right, if you if you allow Russell Wilson to be in this game in the second half, it is going to be problematic. And and I think 
we saw the tide turn with the way the Seahawks were able to generate turnovers. But for me, I really think it came down to, first of all, we mentioned the protection and and the issues the 49ers had with Jadavian Clowney. But I also thought the inability to run the ball was was a function of, um, one, the Joe Staley, the rest of the offensive line not playing particularly well. Two, Pete Carroll having a really good plan and preparing his team really well uh, to stop the run, um, which really made the 49ers offense play without any rhythm. I thought it made Garoppolo look out of sorts. Um, his, his footwork was bad. He was a little bit choppy in the pocket. Um, the 49ers allowed five sacks, which is the most they've allowed this season. Um, and there was that 21 nothing run from late in the second quarter through the third quarter that was spurred by, you know, back-to-back turnovers in the third quarter that led to Seahawks touchdowns. And, and then, the, then the 49ers had to play catch-up. Um, but, Kyle, I, I'm curious what just – we talked about Garoppolo a little bit, but I'm curious what you thought about the offense as a whole. I mean, you, you you would like to see them not turn the ball over three times. The offensive line, I think the 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 poor play of up front just really derailed the whole offense. You see that every day in the NFL. Like that's that's why they say games are won and lost in the trenches. And the 49ers lost in the trenches last night. At least their offense did. I think the the lack of reliable pass catchers with George Kittle and Emmanuel Sanders out definitely played a played a role the drop passes obviously played a role as well but they weren't able to overcome those things because of the the play up front and I think that's where that's where really everything everything comes down to and if that's going to be a problem the rest of the year the 49ers are going to continue to struggle but that unit was playing so well Uh, Joe Staley missed what was it two months and and McGlinchey was out a month so I mean those guys need need time to get their legs back underneath them especially coming off of leg injuries and I I really think the Niners are going to be fine up front um and if if Justin School has to step in for for Joe Staley for a game or two if he does have surgery on that finger he showed that he can step in and and be a good player for San Francisco so this isn't a huge concern for me but the offense I, I think got beat so badly because of the play up front yeah, and the 49ers defense kept a minute. Um, that that play with Kwan Williams coming off the the right slot, blitzing Russell Wilson, forcing the fumble, somehow the ball popping into Jermaine Ifedi's hands. I'd, it looked like from where we were that that Wilson handed the ball off to him, but looking at replays, I think it just kind of popped into his hand, and there was nothing there was nothing Ifedi could do but just grab it. But the mistake he made was was trying to turn around and and run with the ball. And I'd never seen, I don't know if I've ever seen a play in person where there were two separate fumbles, forced fumbles by the defense uh, leading to a touchdown. And obviously the play for Ifedi is just to fall down and, you know, you live to see another day and keep the ball. But the 49ers were down 11 points at that point. And they were really reeling because they had those back-to-back drives with turnovers that led to Seahawks touchdowns in the third quarter. And it looked like the game was really getting away from them. And then all of a sudden the Niners are right back in it. They get the two point conversion after DeForest Buckner scores that touchdown. And then it's like, Holy cow, they're only down by a field goal. Uh, And then they end up tying it. The Seahawks get a field goal. The Niners get a field goal. Um, And it was just, there, there were so many things that happened in that game. It was like, I was sitting in the press box writing about it and, you know, when, when you're up there, you have all your notes, you have all the stats in front of you. Yeah. Um, I had finished writing a notebook because I wanted to get all the injury stuff out of the way first. And then I'm sitting down. I'm like, I don't even know where to start. And that, that like, that hasn't happened to me before covering this team, or at least it hasn't in a long time. And, you know, I think one of the fun things about it was just what the stakes are. And and that was sort of the lead to, to my game story was that the rivalry's back, you know, like it, it felt like, that these are two teams that are going to play in January. Well, I don't know if they'll play each other in January, but they're two playoff teams. Um, they're in the same division, obviously, and we get to see this again in Week 17. And it remains to be seen if that game is truly going to matter because a lot of these Week 17 games are, are just about playoff positioning at that point. Um, so, I mean, there's a chance that that could determine 
maybe a first round buy in the playoffs or who wins the division and whatnot. Um, the atmosphere at Levi's, I mean, we're in that hermetically sealed box up in, up in the sweet tower, but yeah, you could tell the atmosphere was awesome. I'm curious what you thought just about like the idea of the rivalry being back, um, the stakes being really high for Niners Seahawks again. And, and we came into the game saying it was clearly the most important game ever played at Levi's stadium from the 49ers perspective. But just I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are about the rivalry and, and what we can expect the rest of the season. I want to go back real quick to the defense and how they played and bailed out the offense or or how the offense. We talked about early in the season complementary football, and the Niners didn't do that last night. <laughs> the, That's Seah- good point. the Seahawks, three scoring drives on offense, totaled 87 yards. In re- That's in regulation. Their three offensive scoring drives in regulation went 87 total yards, 16, 24, and 47. The 47 was the field goal at the end of the game that that made it uh, 24-21. That's that's, uh, pretty remarkable that the 49ers still found a way to be in this game. When Seattle didn't get the ball via, via turnover, they went punt, 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 fumble, fumble, punt fumble punt field goal (laughs) the the 49ers defense was and then and then you can go to overtime and it was interception punt field goal and that that field goal came off a miss from the 49ers that set the Seahawks up with great field position I there's there's not enough words to describe how good San Francisco's defense was against the number one ranked offense by DVOA going into the game that's that's a remarkable performance by that unit. From an atmosphere perspective, it felt like a playoff game from from the moment the gates opened. I, I, I walked into the stadium. The feel walking through the parking lot was different. I went out to to the blue lot where where my mom tailgates and I and I said hi to her before going in and that lot felt different. It was full packed at 220 on a Monday. And then it, fans were ready. Everybody was ready. Um Like it was just a, it was going to be a party the entire time. And just when it felt like that atmosphere was going to die out a little bit, they get the fumble recovery and, and, and score from DeForest Buckner that you just mentioned. And the place, I I mean, you said it, we're in a, we're in a sealed box that's supposed to block out most of the crowd noise. And it was, it was loud. The press box had a little shake to it and every play felt like, every play felt like it mattered. Like there was never a, a time where it felt like, okay, I can, I can get up for a second and, and run to the restroom or I can go, I can go uh, grab something out of my bag. Like it felt, it felt like the entire game was riding on every snap. And, and that's where to me, I went in thinking, okay, this is a chance to rekindle the rivalry and there couldn't have been a better way to do it. Yeah, totally agree. And um, yeah, I mean, there was just there. It was just one of those games where either team could have won. Like it, it just it, it was particularly in overtime. It was like, all right, who's going to make the play to to win the game? And then you had Russell Wilson beat the blitz and have that long run to set up that field goal. After it seemed like the 49ers had already won the game when Dre Greenlaw made that interception, which would have been the play of the year for the 49ers season so far. We haven't even mentioned Greenlaw yet. Like we, we talked about Quan Alexander's injury a lot last week and the issues with Trey Greenlaw maybe being better against the run, but not as good in coverage. Um, making that interception on Russell Wilson is no small feat because that's only the second time Wilson has been picked off all season. Yeah. And Fred Warner said it after the game. He was like, Greenlaw played that perfectly. And and Greenlaw was supposed to play up in the flat, but he was reading Wilson's eyes and had the athleticism to back up and play more towards the corner and then make the leaping catch almost sideways over his shoulder and then return at 47 yards. He nearly housed it to win the game. If he would have got another block, it was a good play by, I think it was Dwayne Brown uh, of the Seahawks to make sure that, yeah. that Dre Greenlaw got down. But yeah, I mean, it was just another example of uh, of the Niners' defense making a play, and and it was a good it was a good sign of of their resiliency because, you know, at that point, 
in overtime with, with the way things were going and how much they had to be on the field because the 49ers were struggling offensively and turning it over, you know, you would wonder if, if the 49ers at some point were just going to crack. And the defense did not crack. And I think the defense has cracked a lot over the last four seasons, which is why the 49ers were not a good team. But just from, you know, we talk about the talent and, um, and, and you know, all the, all the things the 49ers do schematically that are so much better this year. But I think the characteristic of this team that, that is really starting to shine through, even in a loss, is relentlessness. Like, this team does not quit. And I think... Absolutely. Um, you know, it's a cliche and it's probably coach speak and things like that. But but that is a real characteristic of this team, it feels like. And and being in the locker room afterwards, like, yeah, the Niners were exasperated and, and they were a little emotionally drained. But I think a lot of them had the perspective of, like, we had our opportunities uh, to win this game. And a lot of things had to go wrong for us to lose. And we're still at eight and one. We still have the best record in the NFC and we feel pretty good about where we're at, which, you know, they're, they're not nearly as dispirited as, as Twitter. And, and I guess the, uh, the sports talk radio callers have been over the last 24 hours or so. Yeah. And I think that's part of why, when, when you're assessing this loss for the 49ers, you have to take that attitude into account. Because that that stuff matters, like team chemistry and and team mindset. I know it's, I know you can't quantify it, and it's kind of a of a shaky, a shaky argument to make. But that ma- that that matters at the end of the day. How how well does a team take a punch in the mouth and bounce back? And I think the 49ers, their defense, for example, against Arizona. Richard Sherman was not happy with the way they played. That defense as a whole, not happy with the way they played. They lose Quan Alexander for the year. They come back and have maybe their best performance of the season against the best offense that they've faced. That's hard to do. And it says a lot about this team. And it says it, it, it's part of the reason that I look at this loss and I go, yeah, a lot of things went wrong, but it's it's hard to imagine them not coming back from it, not learning from their mistakes and and Fred Warner said in his post game press conference, like this loss isn't gonna define us. I think we're were his exact words, and I think that's the mindset of the whole team that permeates throughout the throughout the locker room, and it it matters. It, it really really does. Yeah. So before we get to winners and losers, I, I do want to talk about the receiving core because there's a chance that the 49ers are not gonna have Emmanuel Sanders and George Kittle again on Sunday against the Cardinals. Uh, which we mentioned at the top of this, but you know, a lot of people are asking, like, what can the 49ers do to improve their receiving core? Um, there really isn't much. I mean, the 49ers made their move. They got Emmanuel Sanders, and now he's hurt. Uh, so there, there isn't really, you know, people are asking, what about Des Bryant? Well, if if you watch Kyle Shanahan's offense, you know how important route running and speed and the ability to to stretch the stretch the field both vertically and horizontally is uh to as as far as what he's looking for in a receiver um des bryant who i don't think has played football in what two years at least a season and he's coming off a torn achilles and was never that type of receiver who played with a ton of speed anyway I, i know fans think all right the niners have guys who are dropping passes well des bryant has good hands let's go get him um des bryant doesn't doesn't fit the scheme like at all yeah um, and we, we have no idea what kind of shape Des Bryant's in. So let's let's just go ahead and rule Des Bryant out here uh, for, for a multitude of reasons. But the issue the 49ers are going to have, I, I think the, the game on Monday night sort of highlighted the issues that they have in, in terms of depth, at, particularly at receiver. Because, man, Dante Pettis did not have a good game. And it wasn't just that he dropped two passes, including that super crucial one on second down on the 49ers last drive of the game where I think they only took what 14 seconds off the clock and three plays, three incompletions. Yeah. Um, Kyle Shanahan basically said it today. He was like those, the first down first and second down passes were very conservative passes. Yeah. And if the 49ers hit Ross Dwelly there and that pass isn't batted at the line of scrimmage on first down, then you're probably what six, seven yard gain. Mm-hmm. You're taking 20, 30 seconds off the clock. Um, you get that incompletion. Okay, Dante Pettis is open on a slant or a, or a little post or whatever. 
might have been a first down in the middle of the field. So you move the chains, that takes 20, 30 seconds off the clock. Um, you know, I think the the real question we'll play was was the third down call, taking the deep shot to Debo Samuel. Um, but at the same time, as questionable as the call was, because you'd make the argument that it that it wasn't a, a high percentage throw, Garoppolo dropped it right in there. Like it was a perfect throw. And Shaquille Griffin made a phenomenal play. I think, I don't know if that play has been talked about much locally here in the Bay Area um, because there's been so much focus elsewhere in terms of what happened in that game. But I would have to think in Seattle that 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 Griffin pass breakup on third down, which might have put the 49ers in field goal range or at least in Seahawks territory, uh, was one of the biggest plays in the game. And Kyle Shanahan would have looked like a genius if the, what's that? I think that goes for a touchdown. Yeah. I mean, the 49ers, that, that might be the throw of the year, right? But yep. but Griffin stuck his hand in there, dove, and broke the pass up. Um, so suffice to say, Kyle Shanahan took a lot of heat for, for his play calling in that instance. Some people are saying he should have taken a knee or just run the ball out and taken the tie. Look, man, if you're a competitor and you've gone through everything over those last four hours that those two teams went through playing for a tie is a great way to make your team hate you. <laughs> like, like you, yes. you have all these yes. dudes battle for 70, 80 plays, whatever it is, uh, in a, an extremely heated game against a division rival on Monday night football. And at the end of it, you're like, ah, oh, let's just sit on the ball and play for the tie. That is a, fantastic way to lose the locker room and that is not something that Kyle Shanahan has any interest in doing so I I respect the idea of going after it um but the the initial point was about the receivers that's the 49ers biggest issue because if Dante Pettis doesn't step up if Kendrick Bourne isn't more consistent with his hands the 49ers are going to have issues serious issues as long as George Kittle and Emmanuel Sanders are out Kyle Shanahan's quote about Dante Pettis today was brutal that was as ice cold as it gets and and to me and maybe you have a different read on this you're you're there you're you're in you're in the building but i i think that was a huge indicator of where pettis kind of stands in a in a relatively unproven thin receiving core here's here's the exact quote it was in a conference call by the way uh, oh, conference call. Sorry. Yeah. But yeah. So what, don't give me credit for being in the building. I was, uh, I was well, in no, sweatpants but, but, no, at home my, today. <laughs> my, but I mean, you're around the team in general. You you know the vibe around the coaching staff and around the players. And, and here's what Shanahan said about Dante Pettis. Quote, he's had a number of opportunities. I'm one of the guys that believe in him the most. That's why he's here. He's had his opportunities. The more he doesn't take advantage of his opportunities, the less opportunities he gets. And given the fact that Pettis had a crucial third down drop uh, early in the game where he caught the pass on the sidelines and then got whacked and, and dropped the ball as he went down and then had another bad one on that drive that we were just talking about, the the three passes at, near the end of overtime, he had a drop there as well where he went over the middle and didn't seem too committed to catching the ball. And I don't know if... if Richie James starts getting some of his snaps or or what happens but we keep waiting for Dante Pettis to step up the way he did late last season and he he hasn't and he seems to be going in the wrong direction one of the interesting things about what happened last night from a receiver's perspective is the 49ers had six receivers active and I think that's the first time Kyle Shanahan has had that um on the 46-man active roster since he became coach. Typically, he's had four or five receivers active. So he had six last night because of all the injuries, uh, which meant Richie James didn't play an offensive snap, which was one of the more interesting takeaways I had when looking at the snap counts today. And it was just a, a a factor of there just not being any snaps for him in the game plan because the 49ers had five other wideouts that they planned on using. Um, Marquise Goodwin was was active and available for the first time in three weeks and really didn't provide the 49ers much. Um, he had a drop, and I think it was the, the first drive, a third down drop, and it wasn't a great pass from Garoppolo. The pass kind of fluttered out of his hand, but uh, Goodwin certainly could have caught it, and the 49ers would have had a first down in the red zone. 
Um, but Goodwin hasn't provided them much either. And I know he's he's had off the field stuff, and and it's it's not just about you know pure production with him. But you know you have to wonder like what this receiving core is going to look like next year. Are the 49ers going to bring back Marquise Goodwin, given how inconsistent he's been? Is is this thing with Dante Pettis? You know, it, it sort of feels like with Pettis, it's at a tipping point, right? Because you have you have Pettis not being necessarily responsible for the loss, but playing a pretty significant hand in the loss because you need him to step up. Debo Samuel had a really good game, but you need Pettis to step up when you don't have Kittle and Sanders, and Pettis simply did not. And so, you know, he's caught like 48% of his targets or something. I think he is... Uh, I, I should know this. Let me, because I wrote about it today for tomorrow's Sacramento B. You should check sacb.com slash 49 Shameless plug. All right. So Jimmy Garoppolo. Also subscribe. <laughs> please do. Subscribe to our sports pass. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo is completing 67% of his passes. So that's down a little bit um, because he only completed it. His, his completion rate from Monday dropped his season completion percentage. For the year, I think he went into the game fourth in completion percentage, almost at 70%. Um, so Garoppolo completes, you know, a pretty good percentage of his passes, right? Uh, he's completed 11 of 24 targets to Dante Pettis. That's that's just under 46%. Um, Pettis good. is averaging just 9.9 yards per catch. And for whatever reason, that connection just hasn't been there. And you have to wonder, like, are we at a point where, okay, Pettis starts to take off and show signs like he did last year when he had that run with, I think it was four touchdowns in three games um, in November and early December, if memory serves? Or is this going to go the other way where Pettis is going to completely lose confidence? And then are you at the point where, you know, you get Trent Taylor back and, and Jalen Hurd back going into the spring and, you know, maybe you re-sign Emmanuel Sanders, then do you decide all right we have all these other guys let's cut bait with pettis while we can and maybe we could ship him off for for a late round draft pick to a team that wants to give him a new um you know a, a new surrounding so i think we're at a pretty volatile point with pettis and um the spotlight is not going to shy away from him anytime soon particularly if the 49ers aren't going to be with with kittle and and sanders on sunday and i'm i feel you know I, th I think there's a really good chance Kittle sits out against the Cardinals. Um, I'm not sure about Sanders because cartilage, you know, when you have cartilage issues, that's something you can play through. It's just about pain tolerance. And, and if we know anything about Sanders, I think it's, he tough has, dude. yeah, he's a tough dude and he, he plays through injuries. So maybe Sanders is back Sunday against the Cardinals, but yeah, not a good look for our guy, Dante Pettis. Yeah. The, the really not a good look. I don't really want to single out Dante Pettis because nobody on the receiving core was particularly great last night. Debo Samuel is good. We'll talk about him a little bit later, but yeah. I, I'm you said it both before we the podcast and and I think you mentioned this earlier. I would have liked to see how that game went if the 49ers don't drop any throws. And and yeah. conversely, conversely, Seattle dropped a couple interceptions as well. So I mean. Uh, Garoppolo still had had his share of issues, but I think the game goes a lot differently if if the 49ers hold on to a couple of extra third downs. It's been really one of their their strengths on offense this year is keeping drives going and and at worst keeping keeping opponents in in bad field position and they they just couldn't quite do that enough times last night. I mean, they get one or two more third down conversions you take away a couple of those drops and give them a couple of those third down conversions and Garoppolo's stat line looks a lot differently. And I think, I think the scoreboard looks differently too. Well, yeah, if, if Bourne catches that one pass, instead of it getting intercepted, it takes seven points off the, off the board for the Seahawks theoretically. And then there was the one in the fourth quarter before the 49ers hit the, the field goal to tie it at 21, where Bourne would have converted a first down inside the 10 yard line. So you're talking about potentially potentially an 11 point swing just on two drops. And obviously, you know, we can't really play in hypotheticals that that, you know, that, that they those points just wouldn't have wouldn't have happened for Seattle in one way or another, but just just from a from a fundamental standpoint, you look at what those drops 
led to, and you can say, you can make the, the case that it was an 11 point swing, obviously in a, in an overtime game that's decided by three points, that's massive. So yeah, 49ers receivers need to step it up. Let's go to our winners and losers for the week before we wrap this up. Uh, winners, we're going to go inside linebackers, Dre Greenlaw and Fred Warner. Warner, I think undoubtedly the best game of his career. He had the forced fumble on a Fetty. He had two third down sacks. He had a pass breakup where he leapt. Um, he was out in the flat, and he almost intercepted Russell Wilson. It was kind of similar to the interception that Nick Bosa had against Carolina. Uh, he didn't he didn't catch it, obviously, but um, just a really good game from Fred Warner and Greenlaw. Just making that play, man, like that was one of the most remarkable plays I I, I can remember maybe ever at Levi stadium, just from a defensive standpoint, like seeing, I had a really good angle as it happened. I, when, when Wilson went to make that throw, you go, Oh, Greenlaw's either going to pick it, or this is going to be a touchdown to win the game. And Greenlaw leapt a, a lot higher than I thought he could get to and still made the catch. And you go from thinking, Oh man, the 49ers are going to lose this. This is brutal to, Oh man, the 49ers are actually going to win here. Um, then they missed the field goal. Seahawks drive and score but overall Dre Greenlaw really good uh first impression uh having to replace Quan Alexander at that inside linebacker spot yeah he was he was as good as they needed him to be Fred Warner was was so good too I mean we we said all week that that replacing the emotion with Quan Alexander was going to be probably tougher than replacing the the on-field production i think the the emotion took care of itself with the vibe in that building but their their productivity between the two of them was was really sensational and if if they don't get really i i don't have a again i'm 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 missing a word that that is somehow quantifiable but they got big time plays from from their two linebackers when they really really needed them, and uh, put them in a position to win the game. The offense just didn't come through. Like we said, complimentary football. Yeah, I think the term you're looking for is um, is this is kind of like an analytics nerd term, but uh, the big dogs eight. Well, okay, look, dude, is, dude, is what hey, you're looking hey, for. Ma- math guy, math guy, <laughs> relax. <laughs> Um, the, the group of losers next, the 49ers receivers, we've talked about them plenty. I don't think there's much more to say. They need, they need to perform better. Um, and and that was a major issue for the 49ers offense on top of the running game too. Um, but winner Debo Samuel, you mentioned it earlier. Uh, his best game is a pro for sure. He had, uh, he led, he had a game high, eight catches, 112 yards, 14 yards a catch. Um, caught eight of 11 targets, had one drop, but you, you have a, you really get to see almost on a weekly basis now, and it comes in flashes. It doesn't always come with big performances, but you understand why the 49ers like this guy, particularly in contrast to the rest of their receivers. Richie James has some of this, but he's not nearly as explosive, but what you can do with Debo Samuel getting the ball in space and the way he runs after the catch and the way it seemingly takes four defensive backs to, to stop him, let alone tackle him uh, every time he carries the ball or touches the ball is really impressive. And, uh, and I don't know if he can be necessarily your, you know, your second best pass catcher, like, or, or your, your best pass catcher, like he was on Monday. I think he's, he's perfect. In and I don't want to say a gadget role because that's that sort has sort of a demeaning connotation. But when you have George Kittle and you have Emmanuel Sanders and you have a dynamic running game, and you can sprinkle in these swing passes that get uh, Debo Samuel open in in space with certain looks, or you get him screaming across the field on a crossing route or a slant. he fits really well with what the 49ers want to do. And he adds the dynamic that they don't have. I just think the issue now is that he can't be your best receiver. He needs to be like your third or fourth best option. Um, and if he is, then that's, that's super, super dangerous. And we've seen that before. Like I think we saw it in the week two against Cincinnati when he had a couple big plays off screens and things like that. But Debo Samuel, big winner, Monday night football, first hundred hundred yard game of his career. 
Um, just a just a strong performance from the second round pick. Yeah, and I think we saw all the different things he can do. He he's effective in all three levels of the passing game. He had a couple of really good tough runs after the catch, which is really a hallmark of his in college. And then on that last drive in overtime, he got open down the field, and he he had beaten uh, Shaquille Griffin. I, he he was open by a step or two, and Garoppolo underthrew him. A and B, Griffin made a terrific play. If if Garoppolo leaves that up uh, a little deeper down the field, I think Samuel catches it for for a long touchdown to to win the game. So yeah, Samuel was terrific, and hopefully, what we saw Monday night wasn't a ceiling, but more of a more of a stepping stone to more consistent performances. All right, next up, loser uh, Jimmy Garoppolo because it wasn't a great performance and uh, I think a lot of it just had to do with everything that was going on around him. I thought his protection wasn't good. I didn't think he reacted to the protection not being good. I thought he had happy feet. He didn't look comfortable in the pocket. Um, It could have been that, you know, Pete Carroll did a really good job of of scheming up against him. He wasn't, Garoppolo wasn't nearly as calm. Um, in the pocket as he was that previous Thursday night game against Arizona, the receivers were dropping passes. Uh, he didn't have George Kittle or Sanders. Obviously we've said that probably 17 times on this pot already, but just not a good performance. And you know what? It could be that the highs with Garoppolo are really high. And then you have these performances where, you know, it leaves you wanting a little bit. And the thing is, it's worth remembering too, is that Garoppolo led drives late in the fourth quarter to tie the game with a long field goal and uh and he led a drive that could have been a game winning drive in overtime and also too um that spot on Raheem Mostert's run on third and short mm. before McLaughlin missed that field goal in overtime uh super questionable call yeah i thought i thought it was clear you know seeing it live you couldn't really tell because there was a massive scrum in the middle of the field But um, seeing the replays and seeing the television copy, I thought it was pretty damn clear that Mostert wasn't down and he got the first down, but they didn't didn't end up changing the call and replay. Um, So anyway, and and this isn't to say that that's the only call the refs missed. I thought, you know, they they missed some calls that didn't go in the Seahawks' favor too. Um, So this isn't just me being a homer or whatever for the Niners. But anyway... Jimmy Garoppolo is a loser because he didn't have a great game. The point I was I, I was leading, trying to make before that um, a tangent about the the spot before the field goal was that Jimmy Garoppolo being inconsistent might just be what Jimmy Garoppolo is as a starter. And what I mean by that is the highs are really high. Like you have games like the Arizona game where it's like, all right, maybe this guy can be a you know top a top five type quarterback on any given week. Like he has the talent. If he gets in, if he gets in a rhythm, if things are clicking offensively, maybe he can be that guy. And then when they aren't, maybe he struggles. And I think Jimmy Garoppolo is a lot better than Jameis Winston. And I would love to have Jimmy Garoppolo over Jameis Winston. I would make that pick 10 times out of 10. Um, But there are times when Jameis looks like an all pro quarterback and there are times where he throws you out of games with five interceptions. And I don't think the the peaks and valleys are going to be as drastic with Garoppolo over the long run. But it might just be that part of the Jimmy Garoppolo experience is getting this sort of roller coaster uh, type production week to week. And and, you know, maybe that what we saw in 2017, those final five games where he took a team that started 0-9 to five straight wins was a little bit more of a fluke than uh, than we initially thought. And and maybe it's just going to be where something where the offense needs to click around Garoppolo for him to be at his best. And and that's not, you know, a unique thought by any means, but um I think that game might have been in- indicative of the idea that maybe we just don't know what we're going to get from Garoppolo week to week and maybe he needs all of his pass catchers and his receivers um, you know, playing at a high level and he needs his uh, his offensive line pass blocking at a high level for him to, to maximize his, his effectiveness. And I know that's not like a really intelligent take, but that's that's just sort of my takeaway from that game. He's not elite. I, I think that's that's a fine take. But he's good enough to win a Super Bowl. 
but when you when you watch last night, some of his flaws kind of really, really showed where I don't know if it's a lack of trust in the receiving core or what, but he really seemed to be second guessing himself in the pocket. And against Arizona, he was hitting his back foot and letting it rip or right. stepping up in the pocket and letting it go. And that was to everybody. He was in a rhythm. He was rolling last night. He was going early. The Niners were getting everything they wanted on on crossing routes and, and in the middle of the field, everything just seemed to be open. And Garoppolo was making plays. He was dodging pass rushers and and manipulating the pocket. He was he was terrific. But then he starts you get a couple of drops and he starts uh pump faking. Not pump faking, but you can see him start to throw and then he shuffles his feet and moves around and he tries to find a different read and that's when he gets in trouble. He starts holding on to the ball too long. I think Pro Football Focus had him down for for being responsible for four of the pressures on him yesterday, and that's just a that's just a product of not trusting the offense, not trusting receivers. We've seen him do it before in Arizona, and he's really good when he does. And when he doesn't, he he gets into some trouble, like we saw last night. Yeah, and mentioning again, the running game wasn't good. Um, I thought too, just from a fundamental perspective, and I'm not like some quarterback guru, but just his feet, like his feet wasn't. They, they weren't tied to his hips and his eyes and um, a lot of his throws, he's just throwing off platform without his feet underneath him pointed to his target and he's just kind of flinging it. And I think that leads to accuracy issues for him too, which is, you know, a com- a result of a, of a whole slew of things that, that we've been talking about throughout this pod. All right. Last winner, uh, Joukowsky Tart, that forced fumble on DK Metcalf, another massive play in that game that, we would remember for a long time if the 49ers had won that game. And I think it was undoubtedly the best play of Tart's career, given what it meant at the time of the game, given the stakes of the game itself. I know a lot of people talk about that one-handed pick he had. I think it was a season opener in 2017 against Carolina and Cam Newton, where he was playing free safety in place of Jimmy Ward and went back and made an interception with one hand. Yeah, Um, That was great. That 2017 49ers team was not any good. Uh, this 49ers team is really good. This was a high stakes game. This was a more important, bigger play. Uh, so, you know, Jaquaski Tart's a solid player. We don't see him force fumbles or, or make interceptions all that often. So, uh, I think this was easily the biggest play of his career and, uh, and he's having a really nice season. He's, he's been really good. And I think indicative of just the mindset of this offense, one of the things that made the Niners de- uh, defense, I mean, one of the things that made the Niners defense, so good in the Jim Harbaugh era was their ability to go get the football. They were constantly looking for the football. And that play by Jaquaski Tart, that is straight up and down what that was. He saw an opportunity to take the football away from DK Metcalf, and he did it. That was a that was a heck of a play with bodies all around him to not only find the ball but get hands on it and then have the strength to rip it out and recover it. That was a really remarkable play. Uh, by Tart, and on that same token, just uh, jumping back to Fred Warner, same thing, punching the ball out uh, from Effetti, Sa- same kind of deal where uh, that's just the Niners recognizing an opportunity to take the football away and 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 taking advantage of it. All right, final loser. This one's pretty easy. Ch- Chase McLaughlin. Mm. Um, when you're a rookie kicker who was brought in this week because the veteran kicker is hurt and. Uh, you miss the game-winning field goal in overtime and your team loses, you are going to be uh, made a loser on this list. I don't think it takes a ton of analysis to come to that conclusion. Um, credit to McLaughlin, though. He he faced reporters afterwards. He took all the questions. He answered them. Um, so the least you can do is, is, you know, when you're in a situation like that as an athlete or, you know, a football player or an athlete, is to uh, is to be accountable. And, and so... Credit to him for being accountable. We'll see if uh, if he's going to have to kick again this week against the Cardinals. Uh, three for three before that, and made a made a couple clutch kick kicks in the fourth quarter to tie it twice. Uh, send the t- send the game in overtime as time expired. So credit to him for that. But he's a loser because he missed a game winning kick and the 49ers lost. Miss, um, missed the game winning kick and hooked it into the tunnel. Yeah, which like ugh. it was good snap, good hold, and yeah. just completely. Just, I think he tried to kick it too hard. It's like when a pitcher in baseball overthrows and just right. stuffs it two feet in front of home plate. I think I think that's what happened there. Yeah. Um. So 
we do the uh, how how did the 49ers survive without Demontre Moore award each week? This award is on life support. <laughs> this award. So here's the thing about this award. Um, we joke about it because people, you know, we in in the preseason, Demontre Moore is racking up all these awesome pro football focus ref, uh, pro football focus uh, numbers, metrics, whatever uh, against players who are on the street like he is. Um, and the 49ers are working out Demontre Moore on Wednesday. But by the time you're listening to this, Demontre Moore might be a member of the 49ers because of Ronald Blair's injury. Um, so I'm hoping like, I mean, I don't know if this is, if the fact that we do this every week is going to get to him, probably not because this isn't like an enormous podcast. Um, and, uh, I, I'll have no problem apologizing to him if, uh, if he feels at all slighted by this. Um, but there's a chance Demontre Moore is going to be back on the 49ers. And, uh, I'm, I'm in an awkward position of maybe having to eat crow and, and, uh, anyway, so this might, we're, we might have to, to mix things up or we'll get him on the pod. <laughs> we might, yeah, we might just have to. It wasn't. Get it wasn't Demontre Moore. It it, the, it was not a shot at Demontre Moore. It was a shot at uh, the the large subset of 49ers fans who were wondering how the 49ers were going to survive the season without Moore, <laughs> even though they traded for D Ford and and for Nick Bosa and and the fact that all of the signs during the preseason pointed to Moore probably not making the team. It's that's that's the joke, not not Demontre yeah. Moore, who is an NFL veteran who's played downs in the league. Right. That's that's a good good way to say it. So how did they survive without Demontre Moore award this week? It just goes to the defense. Uh, everybody on defense pretty much played well. Emmanuel Mosley played well, had a few pass breakups. His coverage was so good. I thought he was going to get flagged for pass interference at least twice. Uh, he did not. Um, had a really difficult matchup with DK Metcalf. I don't know if you know this, but DK Met- Metcalf is a monster and he's like 235 pounds and Emmanuel Mosley is about uh, maybe a buck 90 soaking wet. So going up against a receiver who's, you know, 30, 40 pounds bigger than you um, is difficult. And uh, and Metcalf made some plays, made, made a few catches, but I thought Emmanuel Mosley played really well. So he deserves a shout out on this pod. Um, Nick Bosa didn't register a sack. Thought he was really good though throughout the entire game. Uh, it just seemed like everybody on defense was was really clicking. Yeah, the defense was 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 terrific, and and really the loss of Ronald Blair is is tough. He's a he's an excellent player who's going into free agency, and I imagine the Niners will try and bring him back because he's a he's been he's been good for them. Yeah, Blair, had he been healthy, I think would have been difficult for the 49ers to keep because it is a premium position, and I think somebody would have overpaid for him because, um, and not overpay, I, I mean, the market is what the market is, but I think he's somebody who would have got, like, would it be crazy if if he got 8 to $10 million from somebody needing a starting defensive end? I don't think that would have been crazy because Blair's versatile um coaches love him he's one of those yeah. dudes that's going to be a coach after he's done playing yeah everybody who's coaching he's like jimmy ward and you know we talk about jimmy ward how it's commendable that he's stuck around through so many coaching staff changes like it's the same thing with ronald blair he was drafted into a three four uh he's he's survived in in a four three um yeah he's just one of those guys that every single coach who coaches him loves him he's a really great guy to talk to in the locker room super nice dude um, so it's it's tough seeing him hobble around on on crutches um, like that after the game last night. So hopefully uh, hopefully his recovery goes well and he still finds himself a nice payday in the offseason, whether it's with the 49ers or, or somebody else. But uh, Kyle, you have anything else? I don't. You, you want to hit on before we get, get out of here? No, I'm exhausted. I got home late last night and I was up early this morning. I did too. I got home at around uh, 2 a.m. Oh, one of those. brutal. Yeah, so uh, the 49ers had two home games flexed into primetime. Oh, yeah, and, um, big news. Happy for the fans. It's not great news for the writers, but it's not about us. It's about the fans. You, so uh, Yeah, we also get to talk about sports for a living, so it's like, right. you know, risk-reward. <laughs> uh, perspective. <laughs> and we get to sell ED treatments and yeah. landscaping products and all those things. So yeah. life is Get yourself life an Indochino great. suit. 
Right. Get some Aries. ED pills and go have a great night. <laughs> All right, guys. With that, we'll talk to you later in the week when we preview Sunday's game between the 49ers and Cardinals. Uh, we'll talk to you guys then. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.